Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers. Fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Carolyn Rose to the show today. Mom, dog lover, wife, wine-loving, hope-holding, three-time stage four cancer thriver. As I just stated, Carolyn Rose is a 43-year-old mom. She's gone through a lot. After being told that she, there was no hope and that she had cancer that would eventually come back to take her life, Carolyn did the only thing she knew. She took every day as it came and endured the brutal cancer treatments one by one. And then one day, in the most unexpected of ways, hope came back to Carolyn in the form of a young rescue dog named Riley Rose. And once she found her rediscovered hope in life, Carolyn knew she was ready to grab on and never, ever let go. Today, Caroline is enjoying her 11th year of living cancer-free. She travels the country, speaking to opportunity, 10 to 15,000 people each year. Her message of hope resonates universally, especially today. Since July of 2020, Caroline's website traffic has increased by 884%. Her blogs have gained up to 102,000 monthly views on Pinterest alone. The world is craving hope, and Caroline's happy to be the one to provide it to everyone. Today, Carolyn's married and lives in San Antonio, Texas, with her two children and her two four-legged fur babies. She spends her non-mom time on various cancer boards and volunteering with the local dog rescue. Carolyn remains positive about spreading hope and giving back to those who are still searching for their hopeful ever after. Carolyn, 
Welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure and great respect and great honor and inspiration to have you on. Well, so, I'm excited. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I, I know we were talking a little before we started and I, uh, I was looking forward to this interview all day. And my first question to you is from being cancer-free 11 years, what has been the most important lesson that you've learned that you'd like to share with our audience? You know, I think this is a lesson that that does go back to Riley, my my rescue dog. You know, I think that one of the many lessons he taught me was the power of living in the moment. And I think that my challenge now, even being 11 years out, you know, living 11 years free of cancer is the fear that this could come back and and the fear that, you know, you could walk into an office tomorrow and have a doctor tell you the devastating news. I think once any of us have had that experience or received that dreaded phone call or had something that we're so aware that life can change so fast and that mortality is so real, it's hard to really fully engage in life because that fear is so overpowering. And you know, watching Riley and watching this dog who'd been so, so horribly abused, learn to trust and learn to live and learn to thrive. And he did it all by just being in the moment. That's all dogs can do. That's all they know how to do. And that was what I learned I had to do. I had to do it every day. I had to do it today. I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow. That's how I have to live to balance the fear that can be so consuming in your day-to-day. I'm going to ask you a question. You're probably going to look at me like, huh? I'm going to phrase it. I want to see what you say to this. What was the best part for you about having cancer that reshaped your life, aside from living moment to moment and Mm. being in the present? I think that that there were so many incredible blessings that came out of the whole experience. You know, I think that before, I don't think I know before cancer, I was forcing my life down this path that was not supposed to be, you know, I was all in my head and I was so disconnected from my body. You know, I was telling myself what I was going to do and I wasn't asking, I wasn't listening, you know, I was pushing myself and forcing myself and forcing my life. And I was a big runner and a marathon runner. And then I added triathlons in and I just kept going. And looking back, I think something had to give, you know, I mean, this was not sustainable. I was in med school and running and training and and so cancer came and it literally forced me to step out of absolutely everything. I mean, it forced me to, in order to fully heal, I had to reconnect with, or maybe for the first time, connect with the body. You know, I had to kind of come in and make this mind, body, soul. I mean, that was a huge part of my healing. And I believe that there are so many factors that contribute to disease, but emotional trauma or something in our past that we haven't dealt with, that can be a huge contributing factor. And for me, that was massive. And I had to face that. And it was the hardest thing, maybe possibly harder than the treatments. And that's saying a lot, you know, I, I had to go there and I had to dig in and feel it and go through it to heal. And as awful as it was, I'm, I'm so grateful that I was forced to do it because I never, ever would have done it on my own. And I, I dare to say most of us won't. You know, it's not it's not something you wake up and say, I think this is my goal for the year. You know, no. you really dig in. But for me, it was it was the, the biggest blessing. When you first had your diagnosis, I share with you and my audience knows I had stage one kidney cancer. And sometimes I have what's called survivor's guilt about that. in the sense mm-hmm. that even though I had cancer, 
and it got removed through a surgical procedure. I feel guilty sometimes thinking that uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's a weird feeling. I didn't know if you've ever had that yourself or if you've ever gone through anything like that. You know, not so much survivor's guilt, because I think there's a part of me that, if this makes sense, was killed. You know, I mean, I feel like I lost a part of myself. I feel like I lost a huge part of myself and I'm still working to kind of regrow this new self. Um, I think the guilt I had that was so consuming was the guilt towards my family, my loved ones, my friends. I wrote about this many, many years after the fact, but it was almost like we all went to battle, you know, and some of us made it, some of us didn't. None of us came off that battlefield looking the same we had as we stepped on. Every relationship was changed. Everyone was different. And I still struggle with that guilt. You know, I still struggle with trying to be okay for everybody because I know what I put them through. It's hard to even grasp if you're not going through it yourself. Did you have a disconnect with anyone in your life when you went through your cancer that you felt they were not able to deal with it or they weren't able to be there for you? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that some of the people closest to me, I did. And some of the people that I expected that maybe weren't as close, but, you know, we'd been there for each other and it, it shocked me, you know, and, and then on the flip side, there were people that showed up that it was such a beautiful thing. And, and one friend in particular, we've talked this through since then, this was many, many years ago, but I had just been in her wedding. And a couple of months later I was diagnosed and, you know, this diagnosis was completely out of the blue. I didn't ever had one sign, didn't have one symptom. You know, this was a complete shock that I was in the very best shape of my life. And when people found out that this was what it was, you know, this was cancer. Oh my God, it's stage four. It's incurable. It's highly aggressive. Like it just kept getting worse. I think that some people, it wasn't that they didn't care and it felt that way to me, you know, having them just absent. But years later, when we spoke, they were terrified, you know, and they couldn't really vocalize it and they couldn't put it into writing and they didn't even really understand why they just sort of justified it to themselves. Well, I'm busy or maybe I'll see her, you know, and once they had time to process it, it was, we didn't know what to say. We were so scared or we were so sad or we were whatever it was. And I understood that, that I thought. And all these years later, you know, I had to kind of get out of my own self and my own (laughs) to really be able to see their perspective. And I got that. And it is hard to know how to show up for someone. I still struggle with it. And I've, had all the experience of kind of seeing the array of things that people will do or not do that are helpful or maybe not so helpful. It's still a struggle. So I have more empathy towards it now, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, um, it was, it changed every, definitely every relationship in my life. No doubt. Does it, I got to ask you this. Do you feel like time is the most precious asset that you have right now? More important than anything else? And your ability to spend it with others that you love and care about or the things you were passionate about? It's such a good question. I think time is, on the flip side, it's the thing I fear the most. because Yes, because I feel like it's constantly slipping through my hands. And I have these many moments every day, especially with my kids, you know, where I think, oh my gosh, that's over. And it's it's a real feeling of loss. And I think it's because... I don't, I I have a feeling of, I may or may not be 
in a position again with them to, to experience that. And I don't think it's morbid that I think that way. I think it is true for all of us because we never know what's going to happen. You know, God forbid any of us could have been an accident, you know, truly knock on wood. <sighs> but I think right for me it's more, I'm just so aware of it. And I'm so equally grateful, but fearful with every bit of passing time. So I desperately want more time, but I'm also terrified that I'm losing it. I'll throw my, my spiritual point of view on this, being a psychic medium here. Yes. I'll say that the beauty of everything we're talking about right now is that time's a human construct. And when it comes to our energy and our spirit, it's unlimited, infinite, and there's no limit. There's no, there's no separation. So when we cross mm-hmm. over, we're still alive. We just think we're dead because our physical body ends, but the spirit of who we are and, and 99.9, this is my beliefs, 99.99% of what we are, who we are, who we identify with is our personality and everything else remains. And from my vantage point, I have that unique perspective because I've, uh, I've done a lot in terms of the spiritual side for myself on my own journey and growth and everything else. And I would say for you, the beauty of your situation is that you're never going to die. If people don't realize that we think with cancer and trust me, cancer shook my world. Mm-hmm. I predicted I had cancer six months before I came down with it. I didn't know I had it. I looked in a window uh, of my office building and said, wouldn't it be weird if I had cancer and didn't know it? And then in August, 2018, I, I found out about it from a CAT scan. And I wanted to say, can you share with our audience a little about your diagnosis? Cause I haven't really gotten into that with you today. And I wanted mm-hmm. you to share the diagnosis and you know, those moments of your life just to reflect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love what you said about time. I think that's so true. You know, my diagnosis it still shocks me even all this time later. It's just, it was the most incredibly out of left field thing you could imagine. You know, I was 27 and like I said, I was a big marathon runner in medical school, added triathlons. And then my brother had said, Hey, you want to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro over Christmas? And I thought, sure, why not? You know, and he had um, suggested that I start training with some weights because I had endurance. I could run all day, but I didn't have a lot of strength. So I'd worked with someone and they'd given me this heavy, I think it was a 45 pound weighted vest. And we lived in Santa Monica, California at the time. And they said, go to the Santa Monica stairs with this vest. And you just go up and down, up and down, up and down. And I don't know how many stairs are on that staircase, but I mean, it is hundreds, you know, it's like where all the type A people are just out there running, running, you know, and that's what I did. And I, when I committed to something I committed, you know, and, and very quickly looking in the mirror, very quickly, I started seeing the muscle in my neck and I'd put on deodorant and I'd feel the muscle under my arms. And I'm like, wow, like this is working very quickly, which just encouraged me to do more and more. So about a month before our trip, it was time to get the shots before you go to Africa and we were going to do blood work and just sort of get a good physical before traveling. And we'd come back to our hometown of San Antonio, Texas, had the blood work done. They called, there's a red flag, there's a mistake. Your platelets are at a life-threatening level. Went back and did the blood work again. And by that afternoon, I was in the hematologist office, which was the blood cancer doctor specialist. And I walked in and he looked at me and he just said, how long have those lumps been in your neck? And I took it as a compliment. I said, oh gosh, you know. (laughs) And what I realized very quickly was those were, it was not muscle. Those were my lymph nodes. And under my arms, that was, those were huge lymph nodes. And so what I thought was bulking up and, you know, the effects of, of all of this training was, was the cancer just raging. 
And so we had a lymph node removed the next day and it came back uh, that afternoon as um, uh, one of the many subtypes of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We didn't know how, how widespread. So we still didn't really know what we were dealing with. And it was the Thanksgiving holiday, which was really a blessing in disguise. Uh, we got together with my extended family that they're all from Houston. And at the time, my uncle was involved with MD Anderson. So he was able to get me in pretty quickly that next Monday morning. And that's when I really spent the week there of going through all the testing, trying to determine where is this and what is this and, you know, how are we going to treat this? And that week was... You know, it was this week where I was in denial because you walk into MD Anderson and you look around and I thought, I don't belong here. I'm young. I have hair. I can go run. You know, this is (laughs) this was not these were not my people. Right. And then you go into that doctor's office a week later and they said, hey, it's absolutely everywhere. It's your stomach, your spleen, your bone marrow, stage four, highly aggressive. And there is no cure for this. So we could treat you, but we can't cure you. And that was when it was like, oh my God, these are my people. This is not, this is now my place. This is, you know, I'm not going back to do finals for med school. I'm not going to Kilimanjaro. I'm not, everything was, was stopped. You know, it just, it just stopped. And it was a very long process for me of what, how do I approach this? You know, if I can't find a cure, then what do I do here? Cause I was very goal oriented, you know, type a wanting. And that's where my uncle came and And I, I still live by these words. He said, look, I've just been at MD Anderson. I've been in these meetings. I've talked to the doctors, I've talked to these researchers. They are doing incredible things for so many different diseases, you know, so many different types of cancer, so many different treatments. There may not be one for yours today, but just buy time, just buy time, do what you have to do to live another day. Because if your cancer comes back and if you need another treatment, the chances are high, there will be another option. There will be something out there that you could do that is not available today. And that resonated, this idea of buying time, taking baby steps, do what I have to do to live another day. And that's kind of where I started living my life that way. And it sort of was the first step of teaching me to live in the moment, live in the day, live in the now, don't worry so much about the future. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do, but that's what I could focus on. And that is sort of the way I went through my first diagnosis and my first battle. And I got to the end, I got remission and that was a great feeling, but it was also sort of two-sided knowing that, that this was more of a reprieve. This was more of a rest. This wasn't the finish line. And so it was a blur in a way between my first and my second but in between those two diagnoses, that's when I found Riley, my rescue dog. And he really, at that point, sort of changed the, the healing path for me going forward. You know, it's interesting hearing your story. It made me kind of get emotional for a few seconds there because the idea of the diagnosis, getting the news, 
having that circulate in your mind. And you kind of relay the Thanksgiving holiday. And it made me flash back for a second. I don't normally do this during an interview, but Mm -hmm. it made me flash back to when I went through the experience of what you're describing in my own little way. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of all those complex emotions that come flooding into your mind. And I was paralyzed for three weeks because I didn't know where I stood. They didn't know where where the diagnosis was yet because the CAT scan had to get back with the MRI and all that. You had, I mean, very progressive cancer. And one of the questions I want to ask you is I held myself together as best I could for the six or eight weeks that I had the cancer before the surgery. And then it took another three weeks for me to recover from the surgery physically. And then out of nowhere, when my doctor called to tell me I was cancer free, the next day I had a breakdown. I cried. I bawled my eyes out. I let it all out. I didn't, I want to ask you, did you have something like that yourself that you've gone through over the years? Like how do you handle your emotional impacts of all this? I, I don't think I handle them very well. <laughs> I, don't, I think maybe there is no well, or I think it's important to show it. If we're feeling it, we should show it. That's probably the definition of well. So maybe I do handle it well, because I definitely should. <laughs> I had this moment that I remember so well. I totally relate to this. I think that in this first go round, there was such a clear goal of I needed to get in remission before my seventh round of chemo. That was sort of because if I hadn't been in remission, we were going to have to go right into a bone marrow transplant. And it was just a whole nother situation. And so that was a big doctor's appointment. I'd done the CT scan. I'd done the PET scan. And and I knew when I walked into that office, we were going to have the results that were really going to, we were either going to go one way or another here. And my mom, my dad, my husband, everybody, my brother, everybody was there. And, you know, I remember sitting on the exam table. And, you know, one of the smaller exam rooms, right? And I had all these family members, like my loved ones, right? Uh, you know, crowded around behind me, around me, literally around me. And the doctor, you know, you're waiting for the doctor to walk in. You know, you're just every footstep you hear in the hall. It's just like, is that him? Is that him? You know? And she walked in. She was this little lady from Italy. I just adored her. I loved her so much. And she walked in and she had this big smile. And she said, we got it. And I will never forget the, the emotion that came out of my mom, my dad, my brother, my husband was just so like tears and hugging. And I remember sitting on that table surrounded by them. And I felt so alone. I remember just being, I, I wasn't happy. And it wasn't that I wasn't happy. Of course I was, but there was so much more emotion to me than just, hell yeah, we got it moving on, you know, it was like, our deal. yeah. And it hit me. And I was like, but it almost felt like we weren't honoring what I'd gone through. It almost felt like this. I just felt so alone, you know, and we went out to this lunch and everybody was celebrating. And I was just so quiet because it was going to take me years to process all of the levels of emotion that I had just shut myself off from feeling because I had to, you know, you, we call it survival mode, right? Like, head down, do what you have yes. to do to get through. But then when you get to the other side, that's when you have to start digging in and going, going through it all, you know, and it comes out at the most random times. And that's where I think it's really hard on relationships because everyone around you has sort of moved on and that's, I want them to, but you're not, I mean, it's, it's still taking me time to move on. This will always be a part of me. And in a weird way, I was telling my husband, the other week, when I go back to MD Anderson once a year now, in a way I walk in and I almost have this feeling of like, I'm understood here. 
you know, these are my people. Like, because I, I try not to show that side of me, you know, unless it's specifically been asked about or something, I try to just live my life with my kids and my family and I don't look sick. You know, I can kind of get away with just living, but it's important for me to honor it. And it's important for me to go back once a year and sort of reunite with all of the, all of it, you know, it's a huge part of all of our lives. And, and I think that it's should never be forgotten. I think it should be healed, but not forgotten. I love the way you're describing your situation. Cause obviously it, it, it does resonate very strongly with me, but I think one of the things you've described today in our conversation is to help a lay person understand what is it like to go through cancer in terms of this, the emotional aspects of things, our psychological side, we have the mind, mind, body, spirit type of thing. Right. And yeah, we could be strong to our, our family member. I remember I stayed strong because of my mom, my mom, you know, I, I didn't want to upset her. And I was in a relationship at the time. And after I went through my diagnosis and got everything handled within a year of that, I lost 50 pounds, ended the relationship, ended the bad business relationship, took stock of friends and family and figured out who served my highest purpose. Who am I supposed to be in, involved with in my life? And I changed a lot of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to see if you went through something like that yourself. It sounds like you did. It sounds like you went through a lot of soul searching afterwards. And I, I want to see if you could describe that a little bit for our audience. I, I definitely did. I think there was a big part in between the first diagnosis. I call them kind of my bouts with cancer. My first and my second. I remember that was sort of the start of this. Right. And I couldn't go back to school. I couldn't go back to work because really, I was sort of waiting for this cancer to come back. This is what I'd been told. This is what was going to happen. We didn't know when. We didn't know if it'd be a few months, a few years. And I was still doing a lot of maintenance treatments. So I was going back to Indy Anderson for one month, one full month every six months. So it was still a lot. Mm. All that to say, how do you live that way, right? Like, how do you live with sort of a lot of time when that's what you fought to have? You've wanted time. Now you have it. But what do you do with it? You know, what's what's my purpose? Where do I put my energy? How do I distract myself and, and feel useful, right? And that's where I found Riley. That's where I found this dog. And that's when I believed I was saving him, right? I'd saved him from certain death. I had rehabilitated him. I had given him a life, a home. And, you know, the joke was on me because, you know, everyone knows where this is going. He saved me 100%. And I think that was the start of it for me of moving from a life that was forceful oriented, you know, go, go, go to just slowing down. And that was very scary because he started feeling all these things. And my natural tendency was to push it away, you know, like feelings are scary. And that's why I ran. That's why I was running away from literally running away from everything. But I knew enough at that point that I had to to start to feel what I could allow myself to feel in little pieces. And then the cancer came back again and had my first bone marrow transplant. And then after that, it was really sort of, in my mind, it was over. I thought we'd really, I thought we fixed it. You know, I thought we'd gotten it. I was ready to move on. And that's when we had our, our children. And, and I think the third time this came back, when my daughter was two and my son was five weeks, that was on every level you could imagine devastating. That brought me to my knees. That was the diagnosis that was 
absolutely devastating because a, I never thought I'd deal with it again. And mainly I had these two babies. They needed me. I needed them. Like, this was like, okay, this is not fair. Like you picked a fight with me before and I, I handled that well, you know, but it was like my cancer and I were in this very twisted relationship where I felt it it betrayed me by coming back, you know, when, when I was finally, you know, living, really living. And I think when the kids became involved, I went from wanting to beat it to wanting, wanting to just kick its ass. I, I just, that was done. <laughs> like not welcome. You know, this was, this was no longer a journey for me. This was, this needed to be shut down, you know, hard. And I think that it was just the changes I made, I think were also in, intertwined with becoming a mom and trying to manage their journey through this as well. Like how I think as a parent, you don't want to mess it up, right? You really don't want to mess these kids up. And I didn't want to mess them up, but I knew enough that I knew this would impact them very differently because of their ages. And I was lucky enough to have some incredible guidance along the way. And I kind of did everything I was told. And I think in what I was trying to do to help them, it helped me in return. You know, it's like those, what did you learn in kindergarten? It kind of takes it back to the basics. And I was teaching them, but I was really sort of absorbing it for myself. Like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. You know, and, and I think it caused us to have a, a huge amount of empathy for each other, for the world, for other people, a lot of anxiety along with that. But, but I think overall, it's sort of, the journey we all went through together is what I would say it would have been a much different journey had, had we not gone through what we'd gone through. What do you think from your perspective keeps you going now? I'd probably say your children, husband. Yeah, those are definitely the top two. I think my kids and my husband, and I think, you know, I think like on a little bit of a deeper level, not that they're not deep, they're just the obvious. I mean, they're the obvious for a reason. And, and, but I think if I'm talking more just about me and myself, think that in this way that I'm still struggling to understand my path in life was, I thought to be a surgeon, I wanted to help people. If I'm being honest, I probably had an ego about it, you know, but it was probably, I wanted to help people, but I wanted to feel like a badass doing it, you know? And then here I am on this other side and I started speaking and I started writing because of, of Riley, you know, I, I started speaking to groups and through city of hope in Los Angeles. And the message that, that was given back to me afterwards, time and time again, was you gave us hope or that story you told us about your dog, you know, everything resonated that I would ever say about Riley. And I found that so interesting. And so amazing too. So awesome because I knew I loved this dog and I knew everyone that met him loved this dog. He was unlike any dog I've ever known. And most people that met him would say the same. And it was almost this journey that we had had together that gave me the strength and the purpose to kind of keep going forward and speaking more and writing more. And I think when I've been able to see the lives that that has touched, even in the smallest way, that has kept me going, you know, that has given a purpose and a a reason to all of this, all of the hard days, all of the difficult times, all of the, the ugliness that, that can cloud it. 
when you're able to come through and, and do that, it's, it's an honor that I never thought I'd be able to have. Interesting. As you're saying, I write down notes as we're talking and I wrote down purpose and I wrote love, hope, inspire and meaning. And the words I'm saying for that is I think your meaning with what you're doing now, you're going to touch so many holes and uh, so many hearts and souls and so many, in so many meaningful ways that more than you ever would have done as a physician or as a surgeon. So I think, yeah. you know, rather than you're, you're in the beginning of your purpose, I feel like, I don't even think you're, yeah. you've reached your purpose yet. I think you're going to inspire in so many countless ways, more than you've realized, because mm-hmm. every single time you share your story, you're touching someone. Every time you show the resiliency of your message, you're inspiring somebody, you're giving them hope. Those are powerful, powerful things. And from my vantage point, looking at this from where I come from, I think what you are doing right now is so pivotal to help so many others who can't see the light Mm -hmm. when they're in the midst of despair. And have you thought of yourself that way? Have you, I know, I mean, you've been doing this for a while as in terms of speaking and mm-hmm. presenting, but has that been something that you, you really were like, wow, to get my, to grasp yeah. the impact I'm making right now is very meaningful and very impactful. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've realized it a little in that what has been so remarkable to me and what has touched me personally so deeply is I've realized struggle is struggle. Okay. So I had cancer. Someone else may have had a divorce. Someone else may have had depression, financial issues. What you? I mean, my gosh, how many blinks are there we could fill, right? (laughs) This is life. And we all have it. You know, we have multiple. And so I hope that it's a relatable message and it's a relatable story where, you know, someone that has had a very different struggle from mine has been able to sort of say, okay, well, I didn't have cancer, but I had whatever it was. And I get it. I get what, you know, the, the feelings are the same and the, emotions are the same. And I think it's the people that I have spoken to that have had a child that has been very, very autistic and the struggles that came with that. That was really powerful to me because I thought, wow, we have had such incredibly different experiences, but we, at the end of the day, are talking about the same damn thing that the words you're using and the emotions you're feeling, I haven't walked in your shoes and I can't say, I understand how you feel, but I understand a level of those emotions And I think that the conversations I've been able to have where we've been really honest, brutally honest, that has been the most healing conversation that I have had. That has healed me way more than the person I've been, you know, quote unquote, asked to help. You know, that has been incredible to to see. And I think it makes us all feel less alone. You know, I go back to like sitting in that exam room when I felt so alone and I think it's taken all these years for me to have these conversations that are healing that, you know, unfortunately we're humans, we have pain and I think it's really powerful to share it. Interesting. When you say that, I'm trying to think, what would it be like to be in a room filled with your family when you're told you're cancer free and everyone's celebrating or getting a sigh of relief and within yourself, you're feeling still in this different headspace. Mm-hmm. Because for you, you have to unpackage everything you've been through at one time. And I can tell you when I went out that day after I found out I was cancer free, I was going to celebrate. I was going to hang out with friends and have a good time. I left where I went and went home and, and had to like regroup because <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. It was too much. Right. Too right. much. I went from one <laughs> from having cancer. Being, yeah. You understand. Yeah. It, it, well, it almost feels like it wasn't honoring and not that you want cancer to be honored, but you just. <laughs> 
you need a minute, you know, and it's almost, you know, again, like I've never been a soldier. I've never gone to war. I always say those are true heroes because they had a choice. They chose to go put their life on the line. You know, we weren't given a choice. We were given a diagnosis and we did what we had to do. But I have to imagine there's some level, some level of similarity of coming back from battle. Like we went to battle, you know, and we're coming back and it's like, I, I, you know, I think about them a lot because I think they probably came home and they were so happy to be home, right? Seeing their family, seeing everybody, they're back, they're safe. But I mean, how many shows have been made on this or books or movies? Like what they go through to reacclimate and readjust is beyond significant, you know? And I, I think there's something relatable there. I love that you tie Riley into your story because mm-hmm. I have two parents and they helped get me through this <laughs> pandemic. Yes. I grew up with parents as a little kid. So <laughs> that's awesome. And I'm a single guy. So two birds, That's awesome. <laughs> but I'm a bird dad, but the, yes. energy, the energy yeah. of the parents and their long-term investments, you can have a parent yeah. for 80 years and yeah. have to pass it down to your grandchildren. My question is this, I really appreciate animals. I love animals. I have gained a keen appreciation of them the last several years through my own pets and just other animals. And I wanted to ask you, someone in the audience is listening right now and they were contemplating adopting a rescue dog. What suggestions would you give to them based on your personal experiences with Riley? Mm. I would say, make sure it's the right animal and the right fit for you and do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you that what I have come to realize is this pain I, I keep talking about that as humans we have, you know, we're imperfect and we don't mean to, but we hurt each other. We have the best intentions, but we still hurt each other. So I feel like, you know, our heart, we have these cracks in it. And I think what I've realized is an animal's love comes in and it just cements the cracks we have in our heart and it puts it back together and it strengthens it. And you, once you've experienced an animal's love, you, there's nothing like it. You know, I think <laughs> with Riley, for me, once I was done with the treatment and when I was sort of in my recovery phase, which I'm probably still in, if I'm being honest, you know, I, I, like I said, I wanted to be strong for my kids, happy. Okay. For my husband, for my, I wanted to be okay, but I would get them all out the door to school, to work. And I can't tell you how many days I just needed to get back in bed and not be okay. I needed to do whatever I needed to do. And I didn't want to talk. And Riley got in bed with me and that dog didn't need one thing. He just wanted to be with me. I didn't have to talk. I didn't have to be okay. I just could be. And I didn't know how much I needed that. And I didn't know how much I needed something that just humans aren't capable of. It's just that faithful, unconditional, simple love. They're always happy to see you. They are faithful. It is just dependable. And especially now in today's world, everything is so crazy. And we've learned like, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Like if that just happened, you know, anything's possible. And there's something so critically important to me. And I think anyone who has had the love of an animal about having that dependable, reliable, simple love. I love that. (laughs) I really do. Cause when you take something that's uncomplicated and you can spread it and give people this amazing feeling of warmth that love offers from an animal. Yeah. I feel like it can, it can really heal you in so many ways. So many ways. And you know, that's one of my, my favorite things about after Riley passed these letters that came in and it was 
I kept every single one because they were so meaningful, but so surprising in a way, yet at the same time, not people I didn't even know knew Riley would write letters, you know, telling us how he touched them. And there were so many people, so many people that got an animal, whether it was a cat, a dog, whatever it was, because of Riley, because of being around him, even once, you know, and I think him being able to show people in his very silent, steady way was, I think of the lives he saved, the the trickle down effect. He may not be here anymore, that these dogs that were rescued or these cats or whatever, they're still here and they're still with their families. And I still get pictures all the time from these families of these animals with the kids and the parents and it makes it all, it makes all of it worth it. I'll say this too. I will say that when animals pass on, they have souls in my belief and they are in heaven with the rest of us when we go. And I can tell you that you'll have a connection with Riley the rest of your life and beyond because that yeah. love sends everything. I tell you, I, I tear up every time I talk. He's right here behind me. Yeah, I see the picture. And this, that these picture are his right ashes. that's his picture and these are his ashes. I love that. As that sounds, but not at all. You know, it's interesting you say that after he passed, I had to wait a couple of months, but I had such guilt around his passing. He had a kind of an emergency situation and we took him in and he was, he'd been, I think he was almost 13 and he was a great Dane Labnix. This was a huge dog. He was definitely at the end of his life expectancy, but you know, you're never ready for them to go. And, and I just said, do whatever you have to do. And I literally moved, had a suitcase and moved in. Luckily, one of my dear friends owned this vet clinic where we were and she gave me access to the back and the doctors were like, Oh no, she's really moving in. And I did. And for 48 hours I was there and it took me that long to, to give, you know, to, to accept that this was it. And looking back, I had such guilt that I kept him hanging on that through that, you know, such guilt and no guilt, let it go. <laughs> I spoke to a medium over the phone. A friend actually gave it to me as a gift. About a Who's year a bed hog? If she, she used to jump into the bed with you and hog the bed or something, or push Riley into the was. pillows. Riley was. I'm getting oh, that right yeah. while you're talking about it. Yeah. Right. And actually, our current pub sleeps on my head. Uh, I got, hysterical. I got, I got Riley. That's so funny. Oh, know, my God. That's exactly. Dogs are animals and dogs are spirit. I can pick up on dogs. I don't advertise myself as a dog medium or as a pet psychic. Uh, I, I, I found a missing dog in New York State a couple of years ago oh and gosh. had an episode on my show about it because it was a family friend, basically, and they called me from right. northern New York State, and I was able to find their dog in Florida. I was on my couch, and that dog got found the next day. So my point in sharing that with you, while you were talking about Riley just oh now, my gosh. About, yeah, while you're talking about that right now, I feel like the image I got is just like when you have loved ones come in from the other side. Your dog showing me like jumping into the bed and hogging yes. all the and moving around with it, <laughs> and yes. trying to show me the tail go like this on the bed just to keep you yes. happy when you were despaired. Yes. So that's yes. what that's what that's what I think Riley's yes. with you right now to share that oh with you. I know gosh. it's not, I don't normally read for dogs on my show that are crossed. I over, believe in this. But Riley's special. Oh, Riley's oh I'm gonna tear up. You. You that was exactly what he you. did. Yeah, he's oh showing me the process. Show me that. That was how he'd wake us up in the mornings. He'd be in between us and well, he'd stare at us. There's a and point he'd for that. the stare and then he'd pop like yeah. this, just pop. And we're like, no, it's too early. There's a point for that. That was him. He oh, wants you to know probably. he's around you. Is it he or she? I'm bad with it was a he. It was okay. a he. Yeah. He wants me yeah. to tell you he's still around you. He wants me to tell you you will likely feel his energy in your dreams and you'll feel the energy when you're home by yourself. You have moments when you're in bed, even with your new yeah. dogs, or you'll yeah. always feel his protective energy for you. Yeah. 
mean, I mean this as genuinely as I could possibly yeah. relay it is I feel him with me every day. I, I, he's kind of the reason, you know, that, that I b- b- had the courage to go down this path, you know, when in my mind, it's like, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a writer. I'm not a, yes, you are. he's given me that uh, <laughs> courage to make me think, okay, maybe that this is something. And the writing is sort of honoring our journey together because it was so much bigger. You know, he was so much bigger than this world. And, and this journey was so much more than, you know, a woman and her dog. This was, this was so magical yeah, lives that, that were touched. I know I'm going to go into this for a minute, but I got something about blue being a color that either he likes or you like something with blue in it. There's blue things that he's showing me toys or blue bells or blue something. So he wants yes. me to share that with you as a residuals. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I want to say it was the ocean because that was our favorite place. They show me blue, color blue things. Mm. FYI. Uh, you're going to do more books, by the way. I wouldn't doubt if you're not going to get more stuff out there yeah, or, or more writings. Tell our audience yeah. about the writing you've had so far so that they know what's out there because I know you're going to have more. Thank you. Well, right now the, the blog sort of comes out semi-regularly, but there's a book right now with some publishers in New York where sort of talking to a few right now and the book is dear Riley Rose and it kind of turned into one big letter to Riley and it's you know I never wanted to write a cancer book I never wanted to write a parenting book I never wanted to write a book about me that was just nothing that I ever ever was interested in but one day I wrote this letter to Riley and showed it to a trusted friend and they said uh-huh. that's it you got to go and so then it just you know, I was listening to another episode, you would, you would podcast episode of yours and you'd spoken to a writer, I think his name was Branch. And he had said that his writing yes. came from such a spiritual place and it's, I can't describe it, but I heard that. And I almost had to pull the car over. I was like, that's <laughs> it. Like, you know, it's, it's been this interesting relationship I've had with religion. And all I can say is this is the closest I've ever felt to God. You know, these words, it's almost like, I'm like, what the hell did I just write? You know, and it comes out and it's just you channel it. You can't not honor it. You can't not say it. You can't not write it. And you can't not believe in it because it is not even come from you in this weird way. And it's been one of the most powerful things I've done. And I can't imagine now not not doing more. I'm going to share two things with you. One, creativity. It's part of who we are. And like every time I do a podcast episode, it's a form of me being creative and expressing my creative abilities for me. And being a lawyer, like you want to be a surgeon when you're in these areas, you don't have much time to be creative. No one wants to see a creative lawyer. If someone hires me for their case, they don't care what kind of poetry I do, but I'll say this for a reason. As you were saying, well, I don't know if I could do this. Or that. I'm going to tell you, be you shine on because every single part about you in this conversation today will inspire countless others with the choice you make with writing and blogging and sharing and relaying. And you're very relatable and you're a message of resiliency. And you're a message of getting in touch with your deeper self by having an external force, Riley, Mm -hmm. come into your life to teach you lessons that no one else in your life could have given you, but for Riley. That's my impression. Oh, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll say this. I'll say this with all confidence. I think that story is so special. I see a couple of books coming your way. I don't see one. I see like three. I wouldn't doubt that all the stuff that you're doing right now you could be one of these people that people come to later and say, how did you make it 30 years with this cancer that's supposed to take you out or you never get rid of? And, and the beauty of it is you can say, I maintained, I worked, 
I struggled. Not every day is like the same one before it, but I got through it. And here I am. I can see you with longevity. I think as long as you take care of yourself, God willing, I'm not God up myself or anything, but I feel like you got a, a longevity vibe to you. Maybe in ways that sometimes you question yourself with your own kids. I feel like they're going to be, you're going to have more of a role in your kid's life than you realize. I pray for that every day for you. Because I think a mother's love for their children, for your children is the most powerful force we have in this world. And I, I just want to say that what an inspiration you've been for me today. And I really mean that. And I want to, I want to ask you this, tell our audience how they can get in touch with you. Pretty much everything is Dear Rayleigh Rose website, Instagram. There's a contact button on the website or I'm learning how to do those instant messages. Is that what it's called? No, direct (laughs) message, direct message. Sorry, DM, Instagram. And so I now know how to check them. I respond. Love, 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 love talking to, to anyone. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. So where do you see yourself with everything you're working on right now? Where do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do in the big picture of it for yourself? Right. I just want to keep writing and speaking. And I, you know, every day my prayer is clarity and courage. And, and I kind of pray for clarity to know what to do and then the courage to do it. And I think that it's kind of cool that I've become okay living in this. I'm not sure. And I, I like it because it, it allows for things to come up that maybe I hadn't planned, you know, and I think that's been the fun of life is having something happen. I'm like, didn't see that coming, but that is great. And I think I trust that if I keep knowing what steps to take and what doors to to walk through, it's going to lead me where I'm supposed to go. And I think this is the first time I'm living that way and staying clear about the unopened direction that, that life is in general. I, I think it's so important that your story gets shared because it's not a story of survival. It's a story of meaning and purpose mm-hmm. connecting. Yeah. Rediscovering yet appreciating. Those are the, the, the words I get off your story. And by the way, as I said, your story is nowhere near being complete yet. So you got plenty of pages to write like plenty of words, plenty, like of, plenty of messages <laughs> to, to share. One of my big things is I want to be able to have a platform that relays the impact of what cancer could do in a positive way. Yes. Because yes. so many times we look at just the negative, right? Yeah. But it's transformed my life in so many countless ways. I can see it transformed yours. And still does. And I, I like us. It sounds kind of weird to describe it this way, but I like the idea of us bottling that je ne sais quoi of whatever yeah. it is that keeps us going after going through so many challenging times. Yeah. And be able to share those yeah. traits. And that's why yeah. I think this interview has shown for me is you've presented a strong argument that if you have mm-hmm. cancer, it's not the end. It's only the beginning of what you yeah. decide to do with it. And that's the resiliency I appreciate about you. I really it's do. A story of living, really. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, one point I want to bring up before we end our interview, because we're running low on time, is you, you raised a good point that resonates with me. When there's people in your life who find out that you had cancer and they, they struggled to connect to you because of their own issues with themselves, either fear or limitation. Sure. How do you recommend approaching someone like that from your experiences mm-hmm. and what you've seen yourself, what would you suggest to someone in our audience if they have a diagnosis of mm-hmm. cancer and there's people in their life that are just being distant towards them and they don't know what to do or how to handle it? Yeah. 
I'll say, I've I've had this question so much, I actually wrote a guide on this. So if anyone wants a printable, (laughs) tried to do it in my my own way, but it's on the website that anyone can go, go print and download that hopefully will be helpful. But, you know, a lot of what I say is show up, you know, show up with the word of caution with situational awareness, you know, you don't need to to necessarily ask, just maybe go drop the casserole off or just go to the hospital. If the family's in an intense time, just be in the waiting room. You don't need to be in it. One thing I caution maybe against is, you know, saying, I know exactly how you feel or saying, Hey, my friend's friend's father's brother went through the same thing, or I know this doctor, or I have this diet, or I have this magic pill, or, you know, whatever it is, I think that if somebody really wants advice, you you will know they will be asking, hey, I don't know what to do. Like, do you think diets that you did? You know, if you're asked, of course, you know, if you have knowledge, share, but there is a time to share that in a time, especially at the beginning to just listen. And sometimes just listening is the most treasured quality that a friend can have. Um, you, that, and, and I also say, I, I have told my friend this and we laugh about it, but I think back on the day that I kind of called some close friends the very first day. And I said, I don't even know how to say this, but you know, this, I have this and I had so many different reactions. And one of my friends just was quiet and she goes, that sucks. And I remember I just smiled. (laughs) Thank you. It sucks, you know, and it was just so freeing to me. It was just honest, you know, and it wasn't being negative. It was just so freeing for me and real, you know, real, authentic and real. Yeah. And there was so much power in that. It made me laugh. It made me (laughs) smile. It made me feel understood, you know, and she wasn't trying to tell me it would be okay. She wasn't trying to, t- it was too soon for that. You know, I just needed that. And it was like, God, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> so I think just from the patient's perspective, you know, it's important to just have understanding and empathy, knowing that people are doing their best really. And from the friend loved one's perspective, I think it's just important to let that person be where they are and you try to meet them there. I love that. I, I want to thank you for coming on today, sharing such an inspiring story. I will say this observation, we both survived where we are right now. So obviously people in the audience that fear cancer can understand that there are survivor stories and that we are getting better with our, our medical science and in terms of how to handle these things and, and moving forward. And I, I just feel like you represent a bright light that's so important and necessary right now to nourish us. And I appreciate that. And I want to, I want to just to tell you, thank you for taking the time out to come on our show, to show your vulnerabilities and present everything from Riley to just everything you've experienced. I think it really does touch at the core of our human experience and appreciating not only the sucky moments, but the amazing moments that coincide in between those few sucky moments we got to go through in our lives that we don't want to be going through, but the resiliency and the strength and everything else is what really, you know, you can focus on all those optimistic, positive things. And that's what I see when I, when I see your story and when we're talking today, I I just see this strong resiliency and, and strong. I don't even know if words really describe accurately what I feel you represent in such a positive way for our audience and for the general public to understand these complex issues. 
Thank you. That means a lot. I really, I really thank you for that. I just want to thank Caroline for coming on the show today and sharing such an amazing story with us. She's just like any of us. She wanted to go to, to medical school and be a surgeon and climb Mount Kilimanjaro and life interceded. And she had a diagnosis that she had to work through. And not only did she work through it, but she mastered it. And I'm not going to say it was easy. 11 years later, she still has a lot that she's worked through. But here's the beauty of it. When you get a diagnosis, so many people think that that's when things end. In reality, it's only the beginning. And the tenacity of the human spirit, the resiliency of the soul, the strength of one's love and one's heart, those are the things that I see when Carolyn talked to us today. I would have to say that too many of us don't live in the moment, don't live in the present moment of the here and now. We're too focused on retirement. We're too focused on a bigger house, a bigger boat, whatever those goals are. And I'm not knocking people that are like that. But when you deal with something like cancer, it reshapes your focus. It realigns your priorities. You don't look at the, the things that you once were consumed with on such a level anymore. I encourage anyone in our audience to check out Caroline's story, look at her information. I'm going to have all this stuff in the show notes. But the most important thing I want to share with you about this interview today is when you have the courage to take on cancer, when you have the strength to move forward, when you're being told that you may not be able to, and you show that you can, that's a lot right there. Use this story, use this episode, I should say, as a motivating factor within your own life. Any obstacles or struggles that you face, just realize you can overcome them. And that's what I love about the story of survival of Kara. And it's a story of resiliency. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the shit? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown.
On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.